You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are joined now by Josh Wetzel, who's the director of broadcasting and the voice of the Red Wings, and he has been since 2003. Josh, Grant, and Danny here in the nation's capital. How you been? Good. How are you guys doing? Great, my friend. Really appreciate the time today. Uh, a couple guys just got called up, and and you know we'll get kind of in depth into that. But the headline name that's there in AAA that we really wanted to hit on first is Kate Cavalli. Out of spring training, or you know, eighty percent of the way through spring training, it looked like he might make the big club. Hasn't happened. He he's been up and down a little bit uh, in Rochester. What have you seen from him to this point? And, and kind of give us a, a status report. Yeah, well, he's had two really good starts in a row now. The first time this season that he could probably say that. So I think the last two starts have been very encouraging. His most recent start was probably, I shouldn't even say probably, it definitely was his best one of the year. Uh, I think early in the season, he was having some command issues. You know, that was the biggest thing, uh, having trouble landing, uh, especially his secondary pitches for strikes. And uh, that was probably the biggest thing. I'll also say uh, that I think, especially probably his first three or four starts, the numbers maybe looked worse than he had actually pitched. He kind of was in one of those situations where if anything could go wrong, it did when he was on the mound and he had given up some soft contact that ended up being hits, uh, maybe some some balls that should have been turned into outs that weren't. So I think that might have frustrated him a little bit too. But, yeah, the last two starts have been very good for him, so I think he's definitely taking some steps in the right direction for sure. Nine starts of five-and-a-half ERA, but if you look at the numbers – 40 innings, 37 strikeouts. I mean, there are some really good signs in there for a 23-year-old in AAA on the verge of the major leagues. How about the stuff? I mean, give us the update on, on the repertoire, so to speak. You get to watch him start in, start out. And tell people when they see him. Could be in a couple of days or a month or two. Like well, What he's working with right now. Yeah, but his last start in Syracuse, which was his best one of the year, he came out in the first inning, and he was pretty much just pumping fastballs you know, 97 to 99 in the first inning. So he was really blowing it by guys in the first. And then he, he kind of settled in more more along the lines of, say, 95 to 97, I would say, with his fastball. Uh, the one thing I think, you know, to get specific about some stuff stuff with him is his curveball and his slider at times have kind of blended together a little bit, which I think is, is something they've been working on uh, not happening. They want those to be, you know, two distinctly different pitches. But the changeup can be a good pitch for him, too. He, you know, he throws a hard changeup. His changeup a lot of times will be 89, 90 miles an hour. But it can be a pretty good pitch. I think 
uh, you know, right now the big thing is, and he had a really good breaking ball the other day at Syracuse, got a lot of swings and misses with it. Sometimes that curveball and the slider, again, are kind of blending together a little bit, and they're trying to uh, to make sure that doesn't happen as much. That start that Josh is talking about at Syracuse, seven shutout, two hit ball, six strikeouts, his best start since being drafted out of Oklahoma. You mentioned you know the, the strike throwing being a key for him and command and control issues at times. Is is he missing close and you know stuff's getting spit on because there's some former big leaguers he's facing or are there times where he's kind of all over the place doesn't know where the ball's going because the walk totals as you said that'd be one thing if I'm nitpicking that worry me a little bit because when you're not you know putting guys away triple A you come up to the big leagues it only gets harder with walks yeah there were some starts earlier in the year where I would say there were some non-competitive breaking balls where right out of the hand you knew it wasn't going to be a strike. And so that was obviously a problem that hasn't been as much of an issue lately. But I think, you know, he hasn't pitched that much. I mean, that's the thing that I think a lot of people forget. You know, even in college when he was a position player part of the time, he just didn't throw that many innings. So he's he's still kind of figuring it out. And I think, uh, again, the last two starts have been encouraging. I'll also say this. He looked really good his last start against Syracuse. Syracuse has got a bad triple A team. Their, their, their team batting average, believe it or not, guys, going into that start was like 205. I mean, they, they are not a good triple A team. And uh, now it might not have mattered. He looked really good. It might not have mattered if they were the best hitting team in triple A that day. But that's the one caveat I'll give for that last start. He was facing the worst offense in triple A baseball. Josh, I'd love you to go into that curveball slider blending together thing for our audience. I played with a number of guys way, way lower levels in college, but that was a problem. And sometimes guys just had to scrap one uh, at times, even for you know weeks at a time, because the, as you said, those things kind of blend together becomes, becomes one slurve, which is neither, which is, is an effective version of either pitch. What's he doing to kind of combat that? And, and, you know, sort of, again, kind of walk us through that, that, that how those things blend together. Yeah, you know, for me, and from a broadcast situation, uh, you know, sitting in the booth, it can be difficult to tell sometimes anymore which one's a curve and which one is a slider for him. Last year, it, it wasn't as much of an issue. The slider for him is normally, you know, in the upper 80s, and the curveball is more lower 80s. And now he's throwing a lot of kind of mid 80s breaking balls. And again, they're kind of blending together with with basically the same sort of shape. The curveball just is breaking a little bit bigger uh, than the slider. So I think. You know, the, the pitching coach here, Rafael Chavez, who's new to the organization and new to, to Cade, is really, really good. Uh, he has a tremendous track record and has worked with a lot of great pitchers and, and has worked in some really uh, outstanding organizations. And uh, so they're working hard on it. And I think Cade is very receptive to whatever Rafael is trying to get him to do in terms of, of making sure the two don't blend together as much as maybe they have at times. But, you know, the, the breaking ball, whatever you want to call it, that he threw the other day at Syracuse was really good. And, you know, I made fun of their offense, but <laughs> he was throwing some nasty breaking balls his last time out and getting a, a ton of swings and misses with it. How, give me kind of a face of the clock there of that curveball when it's right. Yeah, I would say uh, his curveball is more uh, one to seven a lot of the times, I would say, in the clock. You know, something like that. I mean, so it's pretty much a downer breaking curveball. Our guest is the voice of the AAA affiliate for the Washington Nationals. They are now in Rochester with the Red Wings. Also calls uh, games in, in Buffalo, uh, University of Buffalo men's basketball. Josh Wetzel, and we'll talk to him about his career coming up in just a bit. Uh, another of the arms I wanted to hit on with you is a guy that I actually thought may have gotten a start this week if Evan Lee from AA, who's on the 40-man, didn't get the call. And in fact, 
if he was on the 40-man, maybe he would have been the choice. But you've got another starter who's actually made 10 starts at AAA this year in Jackson Tetro, who's got some interesting numbers. 4-2 and two mm-hmm. with a 3.35 ERA. He's striking out a batter per inning, 48 Ks and 48 frames, only 39 hits allowed. 214 average against really impresses me. And he's actually, I believe, ranked right now in a couple of spots as a top 10 prospect in the system in AAA at 25. Tell us about him. Yeah, he's pretty intriguing, I think, too. And, you know, I don't know if he'll be a starter long term. And I know some scouts kind of view him maybe as a relief pitcher down the road, but Jackson's a a tall, skinny guy. He's about 6'5. I think they listen at 190. Uh, long arms and throws a fastball in the 95, 96 mile an hour range. And I think it plays a little bit quicker than that because he has such great extension with the long arms and legs. And he pitches pretty aggressively with the fastball, but he's got a curveball also. He's got a slider that a lot of times really looks more like a cutter and a changeup that he probably doesn't use quite as much. But he's had a really good month. I think Tatro's right on the doorstep there of, of getting an opportunity. And uh, he's been good. He's been really, really good. It, you know, He's someone I wasn't really very familiar with until he came up at the tail end of last season for a couple of starts. And he looked really good. I was impressed. Uh, you know, I think he's, uh, I think he's definitely somebody to keep a, an eye on. Matt Cronin, recent promotion as well, uh, left-handed arm. Yeah. Uh, only a couple innings, obviously, very small sample, but what have you seen there? Yeah, two really good innings. I know he was dominating with double-A. Uh, he's got that, that invisible, the fastball that's in the low 90s, but guys don't seem to see it. Uh, tries to pepper the top of the strike zone with it, and he's, he certainly had a ton of swings and misses in double-A with it, and the first two appearances here have been very good, but he's got the, the fastball and a curveball, and he throws a splitter, and uh, the results have been really, really good. He comes right after guys. Looks like he's very confident. So two appearances, so it has been a very small sample size, but certainly it looked really good. Yeah, he extrapolated out over his minor league season with the 14 appearances in double-A. It's 16 games, 18 in the third innings, 24 strikeouts, so beautiful strikeout rate, and he's yet to allow a run yeah. still. I mean, he's got the unblemished right. perfect ERA. He was a fourth-round pick out of Arkansas. I remember when he was drafted, and that was going back to uh, – pre-pandemic it was 19 you know they felt like he could move really quick now he's 24 he'll be in the big leagues very soon obviously how hard does he throw you, you said it's low 90s but he misses yeah. so many bats with that fastball you'd think it was a firmer velocity yeah he's he's been 91 92 i would say with a fastball at the two appearances so far and it's my understanding that's pretty much where he was in double a also but i think it's one of those high spin rate uh, fastballs that doesn't drop as much as hitters expected to, and and so it's really sneaky. It's that old invisible. So he's been very uh, very effective with it for sure. Is does he profile as a, a reliever? Kind of you know because of that one bit of mystery there. Do you think he could be stretched out to be a starter? What, what do you think? I don't. I mean, he was a reliever even in college. So yeah, I think he's that's always been, the, been a always been. That, yeah, he's always been even at, at Arkansas. So. I think for whatever reason, that's always been kind of what uh, what he's profiled as. You know, another guy in the bullpen that uh, that has been really – sorry to interrupt you there, Grant. Yeah, go but, for it. Uh, Reed Garrett has been really good. And I know he's somebody probably a lot of people aren't familiar with. but And he's on the older side. I think he's probably, what, 29 or 30. But he pitched the last two years in Japan for the Seibu Lions and was really good. He's got good stuff. He's been very effective. And, and I could absolutely see him surfacing up there at some point, too. 
He's pitched 17 times to an ERA barely over three. I don't know how you feel. I've always thought, and, and actually a player told me this years and years ago when I was trying to find out, you know, with relief pitching, what matters, what doesn't statistically. They said, never look at my ERA, you know, because you have one bad outing and you're, you you got to have nine or ten really good ones almost to make up for it. But, yeah, you look at some of those peripherals you're talking about for Garrett, 22 innings, 17 hits, 20 strikeouts. One thing I've noticed with him and a couple of the guys at AAA, it does seem like the walk rate out of the bullpen is a little higher than you'd like. Even Tyler Clippard has 14 walks in 21 innings, and he's got a bunch of strikeouts as well with 26 Ks. No one's hitting him. He's got a 192 average against. But it seems like a bunch of those guys do issue free passes. Almost, uh, and a lot of Clippards came in one appearance earlier this year. He was having a tough time with the the pitch clock, which they're really enforcing big time this year, as I'm sure you guys have talked about. But I think that was an issue for some of these guys early on. And now they seem to have been getting a little bit of a better handle on it, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, that, I think that was the big thing for Tyler. He had one outing where he walked out on five, five guys in an inning or something like that. That'll mess it up in, in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Can you tell us more about the pitch clock? I, I've been able to ask some minor leaguers about it on, on a show I do on Sirius XM. Some of the pitchers I've talked to despise it. Some of the hitters I've talked to kind of like it. W- where are you at on it? And, and give us some of the, the good, the bad, the horror stories, whatever you've experienced. Yeah, I, I haven't specifically asked a player in the last couple of weeks probably, but uh, for the most part, the Red Wings players – hate it. <laughs> I would say that um, I think it was certainly a jolt to their system because early on when they started enforcing it, we were having, you know, five, six, seven violations a game. And uh, I think they've fine tuned it a little bit since then. It really, it really depends a little bit on the feel of the umpiring crew and also who's operating the pitch clock and how quick of a trigger they have. I think a lot of the umpiring crews are talking to pitch clock operators at the start of series and saying, hey, wait a beat before you start the clock. That just smoothed the whole thing out a little bit. Um, but I think players are getting accustomed to it. I mean, just in terms of time of game, it's absolutely worked. I mean, it shaved off a ton of time. There's no question about that. Uh, there have been times where it seems like they're trying to play speed baseball a little bit, um, which is kind of weird. Um, There's some wonky rules to it at times, especially with the the limitation on pickoff throws, that sort of thing. But I think it's going to come to Major League Baseball just a question of what the time is going to be. I think the current way it's set up maybe wouldn't work at the Major League level with 14 and 19, 14 seconds with the bases empty, 19 seconds with a runner on. They might need to add a little time to that, but uh, it's interesting. And like I say, if you're just gauging it purely on how much time it's saved, it's absolutely shaved off a lot of time. One more arm I want to ask you about. We saw him actually, uh, we're recording this here on, what day is today? Wednesday? Yeah, we saw him last night for the Nats in a blowout loss to the Mets. But Jordan Weems, uh, mm-hmm. plenty of stuff there. A couple punch outs. He was a six, more than a 6-1 to one strikeout to walk ratio. 32 punches in 24 innings. Certainly the stuff play. His older prospect in, in, in his late 20s. Kind of an odyssey to get to this point. But what did you see from him? Yeah, he was really good. And I think he, he is in the late 20s, but probably maybe a little bit of a younger arm than that because mm-hmm. he was a position player for so long in the Red Sox system coming up as a catcher, but he was good. I mean, he was throwing, you know, 97, 98 with a slider and a splitter. Um, it kind of depended on outing to outing, which one of those two was a more effective secondary pitch for him, but uh, he was awfully good. I mean, that's been one of the strengths of this Red Wings team. Matthew Lecroy would probably tell you the the number one strength of the team so far this season has been the bullpen which has been really, really good, and Weems has been as good as any of those guys. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. All right, let's go to the hitters, and we're breaking down some of the prospects in Rochester. We decided to do that this week with so many roster moves, uh, weems among them, the path being beaten now between AAA and the big leagues as we get into the summer here. Josh Wetzel, director of broadcasting in Rochester, joins us on uh, this Boston Loose baseball installment with Grant Paulson and Danny Ruye. So let's start with Luis Garcia. A lot of Nats fans know him, 100-plus games in the big leagues the last two years. There's been a countdown to getting him back to the show. I have had a blast just pulling up the box score night in and night out and seeing how he's doing as he hit 315 with a 900 OPS and power, eight home runs this year. So let's start with his offense because we'll get into the defense, which is a big question too. But – was it as good as it looked? I mean, the numbers are incredible here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been really good. You know, I think uh, the funny thing is that, as it oftentimes works out, coincidentally, he got called up when he was in a slump. The last two weeks, he really has kind of struggled. Uh, I think that has to do with, this is just me talking. I think Louis was kind of over being in AAA. And so, uh, you know, I think that might have led to some of the issues he's had the last couple of weeks. And so maybe getting promoted will will spark him getting on a roll again, but he's been outstanding. I mean, the numbers are really pretty similar to what he put together a year ago in AAA, although I think by and large, he probably is doing a better job of controlling the strike zone, which was probably a big thing they wanted him to work on. Uh, he, He had gone about it a little bit differently this year, pulling the ball a little bit more. Last year, he hit the ball the other way a bit more than he had so far this season. Uh, although lately I think he had been getting back to driving the ball a little bit more to left field. So, uh, look, he's he's obviously one of the best hitters at this level, and I know there are certainly some teams in this league that are very, very happy to see him in Washington now and not in the Rochester lineup for sure. Josh, the story we were told an awful lot was they the Nationals organization wanted him to work on his defense. I think they wanted to work mm-hmm. on his service time, but that's a discussion <laughs> for another time. Uh, what did you see from him defensively with kind of the full-time shortstop, uh, I don't want to say switch, but basically focusing on that instead of moving around? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The first series of the year in Toledo, he struggled and made, I don't know, two or three errors, I think. And then he went a long stretch without any errors at all. Uh, just airtight defense at shortstop. And then this last, again, this last two weeks, he's kind of started struggling defensively again. He, in the series they just had in Syracuse, he committed, I think, three or four errors um, in a variety of ways, fielding, throwing, you name it. So, uh, he, again, he's been kind of in a slump offensively and defensively the last two weeks. And it seems like a lot of times guys get called up at, at that moment, coincidentally a lot. But I, I think being back up in the big leagues will probably – get him headed in the right direction again. 
What kind of big leaguer do you think ultimately he could be? And and what is the next phase for him? Because he has flashed. But as you know, he's been inconsistent. He hasn't really taken a spot and run with it. Like, hopefully this is the time. And he's still very, very young. He's 22. But what do you see for him in the future in D.C.? Well, I don't. I mean, I'm not a scout, so I don't know if I'm the best guy to, to answer that. But I know that the Red Wings coaches are big believers in him. Matthew Leifcore, the manager, and the hitting coach, Brian Dabak, really think that he's going to be a very good big league hitter. I think ultimately a lot will probably be dependent on how well he controls the strike zone, though, because, you know, he does occasionally chase pitches out of the zone. And he's done a better job, I think, of avoiding that this year. But if, if he's unable to continue that and, and get better at that, that's probably going to limit, obviously, how well he can perform up there. But uh, they talk a lot about his hands. And I think when, when Matthew Leacoy talks about his hands, he's talking about his hand-eye coordination. He just has kind of a knack for being able to put the, the bat on the ball, which can sometimes maybe get him into trouble, too, uh, chasing pitches out of the strike zone. But I know Matthew Leacoy and Brian Dabach are big, big believers that he can be, uh, you know, maybe even an all-star caliber player at the major league level, which certainly be something. I mean, that's uh, that's what the Nationals are banking on, right? So, Josh, every every so often you get a player that's just a, a freak of nature, right? Whether it's an Albert Pujols in his prime or Juan Soto that Nats fans know very well, who can do that 300 with 40 homer kind of dance, right? And there are a lot of guys, though, that almost have to pick and choose. You want to be a bat-to-ball guy and, you know, maybe have 20 balls carry out, or you could swing and miss a lot more and, and hit for some pop. It looks like he, right now at AAA he's doing both. Just your opinion on this, where is Garcia better, being a, a guy that has occasional power, where the, the home run numbers may not be great, or is he better as a hitter, you know, maybe, as you said, expanding the zone sometimes, swinging and missing a bit more, you know, maybe striking out a little bit more often, but hitting for more pop. What do you think he's more natural? Well, you know, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know how to answer that, to be honest with you. I, didn't really, I almost tend to think the latter might be where he ends up, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. More of a, I don't know. That's it's just me, my gut reaction to that. But that's a good question. I understand what you're saying. But uh, again, I'm not a scout or a coach. But uh, part of me says maybe that's where he ends up being more of a guy who slugs a little bit. Yeah, but don't sell yourself short. You've seen a lot of ball. You, you've been watching with multiple organizations yeah, with man. these guys turn into over the years. So it's not always rocket science. I don't want right? to paint myself into a corner. I hear you. Understood. Because he, uh, because if he hits 50, then you're like, I, I, I swear I said he would do that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's two guys real quick I do want to hit on with you that are, I don't want to say lesser known, but that are interesting to me. Donovan Casey came over at the deadline as part of the Josiah Gray, Kbert Ruiz deal, kind of a power and a defense guy, not hitting for average at all, about 210. And there is swing and miss in his game. But the idea was maybe extra outfielder who could hit home runs and play really good defense and is an athlete. Kind of give me a profile and what, what you've seen from him this year, because obviously the numbers have been a little disappointing. Yeah, he swings and misses a lot. So that's going to be the big the big issue. Is, is cutting down on that. He is a terrific outfielder, very good base runner. He has as good of an outfield arm as I think there might be in the entire sport. And, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, th- he can absolutely throw from right field. And it's accurate, and he's made some of the best throws I can remember seeing this year. And I've, a- I've asked Matthew Leacorn and Brian Dabach, I mean, where does his arm rank? from guys you've seen and, and it's right up there at the top of the scale for those guys. So uh, I think it just comes down to what kind of a hitter can he be and can he limit the swinging and missing and, and get on base a little bit better because yeah, then you're talking about somebody 
who absolutely could at worst be a you know a fourth outfielder because the defense, the base running, and especially that arm is is so outstanding. Now. I don't know if you'd consider him a prospect or high-end prospect or not. He's obviously ranked in Pipeline in a bunch of the the uh, publications. A guy who is not necessarily a prospect, he's 30 years old, but who is mashed. I don't even know the backstory. What is the deal with Joey Manessis? So you'd have to tell me how to say his yeah. name. He's hitting tanks. I, I just see him in the box he's score. Good. All that dude does is rope out base hits, and I remember yeah. looking up that he has played pro ball overseas. He's re- He can really hit, man. Uh, he's kind of a late bloomer, I guess. He's from Mexico. He came up through the Braves system, never got to AAA with the Braves, and hit for a decent average, but didn't hit for a lot of power. And then the Phillies signed him as a minor league free agent in 2018, sent him to AAA, and he wound up being the International League most valuable player that year. Hit for average and power. And he was kind of blocked to the Phillies by Reese Hoskins. He didn't get called up. And so he went to Japan in 2019 um, and then came back to the States 2020. Of course, then there wasn't a minor league season. And then last year was back with the Red Sox in double-A and triple-A. And then the Nationals signed him this year. And he's a great sign. I mean, he can really, really hit. Um, and, and I know he's somebody that Brian Dabach firmly believes can hit in the major leagues. He just needs the opportunity to get up there. And, and Dabach's hoping that at some point he gets a chance to, to get up there and get consistent at bats because he's a really good hitter. And I've heard that Davey Johnson uh, – or Davey Martinez, I'm sorry, Davey Martinez – liked what he saw from him in spring training, too, because he got a chance to get some at-bats in the, in the later innings and in some spring training games. So yeah, I know he's 30 years old, but he's a name I think Nats fans should remember because I, I tell you what, I think there's a shot at some point he surfaces this year in Washington. I really do. The, just that background you just gave us gives me shades and vibes of, uh, like, Yadiel Hernandez a Yadiel, bit. Yeah, that's who they bring up. Yeah, they're like maybe he could be another Yadiel Hernandez. Absolutely. I want to ask about Lucius Fox real quick. That's the last guy I was curious about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the athleticism oozes off the page. You could see that in spring training, he, the way he you know, moves around, but maybe not as well-rounded yet. A little bit of an older prospect at this point, but I know he's only played, I think, 14 games up there. But what have you seen from him? He's been nicked up a little bit, uh, so he hasn't played a ton. Uh, the speed you know, is obviously something that kind of flies off the page at you. You can really run. Uh, but he just hasn't been able to play much because he had uh, he had a thumb injury and he kind of tried to play through that. So he wasn't able to make very strong contact when he was dealing with the thumb issue. And now I think he has uh, one of his legs is bothering him a little bit. And it's not a real it's not a real uh, big injury. Nothing that I think is going to land him on the injured list, at least not at the moment. But he just hasn't been able to, to play consistently. So they're just wanting him to get healthy so he can get out there and play every day right now. A couple of moments left. With Josh Wetzel, who's joining us here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. So tell me about the ballpark and give us an idea of the fan base. I mean, are, are people in Rochester, like, they come out to watch the Red Wings, obviously. They get invested in the players, though. Are they becoming? Are they Nats fans? Do, do people wear Nats gear that aren't from D.C. when they go to the games? Like, what's that like? Yeah, there are some people that are starting to do that, wear Nationals jerseys and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people – from Western New York or the Rochester area that kind of end up living in the DC area too. So some of those folks come back to visit family and, and they'll come check out some of the nationalist prospects, but you know, the frontier field, the ballpark has been here since 1997 uh, located right in downtown Rochester. And one of the unique things about this franchise is that it's been around forever. Uh, one of the original minor league franchises in the entire sport. And yet Washington's only the fourth different major league team they've been affiliated with. They were affiliated with the Cardinals for 
like four decades and then the Orioles for about four decades. Of course, in your area, a lot of Baltimore Orioles fans will remember Rochester being where so many great Orioles players came from. Of course. And then the Red, yeah, then the Red Wings were with the Twins for a long time. So uh, switching or uh, switching major league affiliations is not something that they're used to. And, uh, and so it's still kind of a new thing, but I think the nationals are taking hold. And I know, you know, Strasburg's going to be starting here Friday night. So a lot of people are really excited about coming out and, and seeing him pitch on Friday. Yeah, it's going to be great to see how he stacks up against some AAA competition after a couple starts in Fredericksburg. Lastly, you have been calling games at the minor league level for a while, and as a pro's kind of been around, you have to enjoy some of what you get to see from a minor league standpoint with the giveaways or the theme nights. Anything stand out when you look back at some of your favorite themes or just hilarious you know, things you saw at the ballpark, people that came oh, in through their first pitch? That are like on your Mount Rushmore, so to speak. Oh wow, that's a good uh, good question. Uh, at this point in time, I've kind of started to tune out a lot of it. I, I must admit, <laughs> you're like, I just um, want to watch you know, baseball. Some, I just want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not too plugged into a lot of that stuff. I mean, uh, there have been some crazy things that have happened for sure over the years. Um, like you know, in, when I was in Kinston, North Carolina, we had a uh a mascot that used to you know run run around the bases race a kid you've seen that promo before i love that yep. and he and he would kind of get to home plate and celebrate a lot and uh, you guys would m- remember this name mike bassick pitch for the nationals right yeah, sure i think he gave, gave up, up bonds is very bonds is exactly 756. right it's exactly right well mike mike was pitching for us in kinston cleveland was his original organization and this mascot who will remain nameless also was known for going into the clubhouse and, and crushing the spread before players got in there, <laughs> which the players were upset about. And Bassick, I believe told everybody next time that guy runs the bases, if I'm on the mound, I'm going to throw a warm up pitch and hit him. And sure enough, the mascot circles the bases. He gets the home plate and he's celebrating and Bassick hops on the mound and boom, smokes him right in the shoulder with a warm up pitch. This dropped him. That's Amazing. Hilarious. Yeah, Amazing. It was great. It was like something right out of Bull Durham. Absolutely love it. All right. We always end these interviews on the on the Bustin' Loose Baseball Pod. Our producer Darius making us sound good the whole time. He's listening to the interview and then he gets the last question, either a follow-up or something he found interesting. Okay. So Darius, stage is yours. Josh, I got a two-parter for you. First, All right. I just looked this up because you just mentioned the Rochester Red Wings are a former affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. Mm-hmm. The largest home crowd at the Rochester ballpark was July tenth, nineteen ninety seven. You want to guess who was there? What player Hideki was there? Rabu pitched it. Hideki <laughs> Rabu was pitching. No way. Okay. Okay. Cal Ripken was there that night. So, oh no, uh, it was the exhibition game. Yeah. Exhibition yeah, game. Yeah. Exhibition yeah, yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so there was that. Any chance that Strasburg being there on Friday night tops that? Uh, you know, I would love to say yes, but it probably won't. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, yeah. That would be awesome, though. I think the weather's going to cooperate, so we'll have to wait and see. But uh, that was the first year of the ballpark, too, so that helped out a little bit. Of I'm looking at the list in front of Darius here, and you were all over it because that was Yankees, Pawtucket, yeah. and it was a, probably a Rabu and Pettit, May 6, 2012. Well, well, yeah, that was a different deal. The Yankees, the the biggest crowd for Red Wings regular season game was Hideki Rabu in 97. Oh, yeah, June of 97. Then, oh, gotcha. 13485. Look at you with your your <laughs> and then, tr- attendance. Uh, I've been here way, I've been here way too long, Brad. <laughs> trust me. Um I've, I've looked at our media guide a few times. 
Yeah, you uh, thumbed through it. Yeah, the Pettit, that, the, the Pettit thing is actually a good story, though. That was in 2012 mm-hmm. when uh, when Scranton's ballpark was being completely renovated. So they played their home games on the road, and they played about 40 of their home games at Frontier Field that year. And uh, Pettit was going to rehab with the double-A team because uh, Rochester was at home that day. And the general manager of the Red Wings, Dan Mason, called up Brian Cashman, and he said, look, if I can somehow – if I can somehow move our Rochester game somewhere else, would you have Andy Pettit pitch in Rochester that day? And Brian Cashman said, yeah, but there's no way you're going to be able to do it. But Dan got a hold of the Minnesota Twins and the New York Mets, who that time were affiliated with Buffalo, and they agreed to not play on that Sunday and let Scranton play Pawtucket here at Frontier Field. And so Pettit pitched the first five innings of that game in front of whatever that crowd was, it was huge. Wow. And, and he, he, after he came out of the game, he went up into the concourse and signed autographs for a couple of innings. Thir- wow. That's pretty cool. 13, five, eight, cool, yeah. the number of that, uh, that attendance that night. Okay. There you go. Yeah. That's now, awesome. yeah. Now the other one I had for you was you travel a lot with the team, obviously what's your favorite minor league ballpark that you've been to so far? Uh, favorite minor league ballpark. Aside uh, from your own home. Charlotte. Yeah. Probably Charlotte. Charlotte's view is as good as it gets. Uh, with the downtown skyline and everything. Uh, my favorite minor league city would probably be Louisville, which is a dangerous, dangerous place to have a long series. <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky is a fun, fun town. The bats. Really, they, really fun. And they bring out crowds, too. Charlotte, I have not yeah. been to a game there still somehow, but I've been to that ballpark a bunch. It's right downtown. It's beautiful. I, I was covering a, a then Redskins-Panthers game when they were building it. And just where they dropped it into that city, I didn't know how it was going to work, but it is gorgeous. Yeah, unfortunately, it's too small of an area to make that a major league ballpark because that would, I mean, Charlotte, you know, could possibly get an expansion team, but it probably wouldn't work at that spot the ballpark is. But, yeah, that's that's a beautiful view, uh, view there in uptown Charlotte, as they call it. Josh, this was great, man. Really appreciate the insight and all the players and, and swapping a couple of stories with you. It was a blast, man. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks.